Hey guys, I'm really excited to bring you my friend Elizabeth Urbanowitz today. I asked her to come on today to talk about uh, a few things, but one of them is a wonderful curriculum uh, for you guys, uh, if you're going to homeschool for churches, for families, and then talk a little bit about what that's about, but also some things that you know parents could and should know that would help us better equip our kids for everything from apologetics to the culture and just to t- tell you a little bit about Elizabeth and her background she holds a bachelor's degree in elementary education and spanish which is interesting a master's degree of educate or a master's of education degree in literacy education and an MA in Christian apologetics from Biola which I know a few of you have gone to um, and now you taught in elementary schools for many years correct Christian elementary schools that's correct I spent the first decade of my professional career teaching third and fourth grade at a Christian school oh wow that's a lot yeah I, I thank you so much for coming on considering your background uh, this should be a very interesting conversation and I hope that we can all learn a lot. So, and you also have been on Elisa Childers channel and Mike Winger's channel as well, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So I'll leave a a link in the description for you all to check out. If you want to see those, each one of us kind of covers a different topic with Elizabeth. Uh, If you could please tell me a little bit about your, your background with this. Uh, What is foundation worldview, uh, which is the curriculum that you guys have to offer uh, to us all and how it all got started. Yeah. I was teaching in the Christian school and I love teaching. I love working with kids. It's how God has gifted me. And I loved getting to teach in a Christian environment where I could teach the whole truth. It was just my favorite thing. And several years into my teaching experience, I noticed a problem. I noticed that these students in my classroom, they came from great Christian homes. I was giving them a biblically based education all day long. They were involved in church, but they were rapidly absorbing ideas from the culture without any question. Like just one example that I think of that happened with my whole class is I I was teaching and using a projector to show my lesson and the projector went on the fritz. And when I went to fix it, fiddling around with the projector, one of the boys in my class was guys, this is really stressful. We should totally meditate to stay calm. And I was like, Whoa, you know, but I'm like up on a desk and I don't have the greatest balance. So like I get my balance, I like get down. And by the time I'm down on the floor, half of my class is seated on the floor with their legs crossed, like their arms out like this going with their eyes closed and going like, um, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like Eastern meditation just hijacked my classroom. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, time out. Everybody get back in their seats. We need to talk about this. And so have a conversation about like, guys, is not the type of meditation that scripture talks about this type of meditation, you know, comes from Eastern religions and emptying our minds and like, just like blank stares on their face. And that was like one of the moments where I was like, okay, I have to figure out what I can do to get these kids thinking critically so that they're not absorbing ideas from the culture without ever questioning it. So that led me um, on a search just for materials for how can I get these kids to think critically uh, through everything. And I couldn't find anything at the elementary age. Everything I found was for high school on Mm -hmm. up, which I'm so grateful those resources exist, but I thought like, oh my goodness, like I can't wait like seven to 10 years, you know, to to start equipping these children to think critically and biblically. So I just started creating my own resources and 
the transformation that happened in the students was actually so much greater than anything that I anticipated. Like, I was just thinking like, please like think when you watch YouTube, you know, when you turn on the Disney channel, like just think. And that happened, you know, moms were calling me and saying, Hey, my son wants to pause family movie night and evaluate the character's worldview. <laughs> great. But like, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me please? And then teachers were coming down to my classroom. Cause I was teaching this in an after school class for third, fourth and fifth graders. And the fourth and fifth grade teachers were coming down to my classroom and they were like, how are you getting these kids to think so critically about science and mathematics and history and literature? I was like, I kind of don't really know. Like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just giving them these skills and they like are taking them and running. And really what happened is all of a sudden they realized like, oh my goodness, like I have a responsibility here that, you know, like the ideas that my mind is confronted with every day, like some of them are true. Some of them are not. And I need to actually play a role in determining whether or not they're true. And I should accept them, you know, as part of my worldview. And it was so exciting to see. So several years into teaching this, you know, word get out, people started contacting me, asking me for these resources. And I just kept saying like, just read these books, you know, create lessons. And everyone was like, yeah, no, just let us know when you have this published. I'm like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like I'm a third grade teacher, I'm not a publishing house, but eventually Eventually, you know, with more and more requests, it became clear, like, okay, there's a need here. So eventually went back to school, got the master's in Christian apologetics, and then left teaching to actually start a company to create resources to do this. Because I knew as a teacher that, you know, anytime I was asked to teach something that I wasn't well-versed in, or I wasn't comfortable with, mm-hmm. I would kind of save it towards the end of the day, hope that we would run out of time because I was really nervous. Like, what if I get this wrong? What if the kids ask me a question like that? I don't know how to answer. I'm going to look like an idiot. Like I might steer them the wrong way. And so my goal and our goal as a team at Foundation Worldview is we want to equip parents and church leaders and Christian educators just with all of the resources that they need to teach the kids in their care to think well, so that they don't have to do a whole lot of preparation. You know, they can learn alongside the kids if they've never been trained in this way. And that's really our goal. We just want to equip the next generation to be critical biblical thinkers who understand the truth of the Christian worldview. Yeah. I love that. I, I think that kids are like the best thing since sliced bread. I get a kick <laughs> out of seriously. Anybody ever sees me in public and you have a baby. I am just an, a total like idiot. I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's a baby. But even the little ones, right. Um, you know, you have kindergartners, first graders. It's really interesting. Cause we're always saying like what a sponge they are. And one of the yes. biggest things I get asked is, what can I do for the little one, for my little child? You know, you have these, uh, you know, like the storybook Bibles and things like that, but even then parents know what's out there, what more is out there. And this is why I'm so excited to have you on, to give them this resource, because this is such a need. No wonder everybody kept asking you to do this because everybody has been probably feeling that, you know, like I need more of this to equip my children. Um, so if you can tell us a little bit more about that, you're, you're right with there being a lot of, uh, resources for, you know, middle school and especially high school in that aspect, but you don't just cover that. You cover the whole, this wide range of, uh, uh, of ages. How does that work with the little ones? Can you tell me a little bit about what you would do to teach a kindergartner, for example, to think critically? Yes. So one thing that we're passionate about at Foundation Worldview is understanding how did God design children and their minds and their bodies to function at different stages of development? Because we want to meet them right where they are, understanding how has God designed them? You know, that's part of loving them as image bearers of the Holy God. And so with kids seven and younger, like God, I mean, anybody who's ever talked with a child seven 
or younger just knows that they're like, their bodies are so important and their bodies need to be involved in everything that they, mm-hmm. you know, their body, they have jumping big, on the couch. <laughs> yes, They have big yeah. movements and they don't have like a whole lot of fine motor control and sometimes even like gross motor control. So anything that we do to teach them to think well needs to involve their bodies. Like we can't expect them, you know, like, yes, we do need to train them, you know, to listen to a story. You know, we're not going to expect them to sit down on the couch for a half hour. That's you know, like that's not realistic, but we can train them, you know, like systematically to listen to longer and longer stories, but most of the time they need to have their bodies involved. So what we love to do is anytime we're teaching that four to seven year old age range, anytime we're teaching them some kind of like abstract thinking concept, Mm -hmm. we attach it to something that's physical. I mean, all of us know this, that how important this is just from growing up in school. Like think about when we learned to add, you know, nobody said like, what is five plus three? Because that has no meaning to a four-year-old or a five-year-old, you know, like they don't know what five is. They don't know what three is, nor do they care. But what our teachers or our parents did was they took out five blocks and we touched them and we played with them and we moved them around and we learned how to count them. And then they took out three blocks and we did the same thing. Then they put them together and we were able to count up to eight. And eventually then they attached the symbols, you know, like five plus three equals eight. And eventually, you know, by the time we were eight, seven, eight years old, somebody could call out five plus three. And we knew right away that's eight. And so this is the same thing we want to do. Anytime we're teaching them to think like one topic that, that I always tell parents and, you know, church leaders and educators, that's so important that we ingrain in kids, even as young as four is the concept of truth. Mm. And the fact that truth is what is real. It does not change from person to person. So just an example of a fun game that we do, we have an early childhood series where we're focused on truth. And so first we teach them that truth is what is real. And we do lots of things like I'll open up my hand. That's the symbol for them to shout it at the top of their lungs, you know, and then like, I'll close my fingers like this and they whisper it, you know, as quietly as they can, just so they're remembering what truth is. And then we play a game where I'll give them sentences. And if the sentence that I tell them is true, like if I say something like, the sun usually shines during the day. They spread out their arms and they yell at the top of their lungs, true. And then I'll say a sentence that's that's not true, like a silly sentence. I'll say something like puppies run on the ceiling and they'll just cross their arms and say, not true. And then we want to equip them to discern what's the difference between a claim that's either true or false and something that's just based purely on emotion or mm. personal preference. So then after they get the whole true, not true thing, We'll add in feelings and they'll hug themselves and say feelings. So we'll say something like, like Mondays are the best day of the week. And then they'll hug themselves and say feelings. And so if we can do something like that, like that gets their bodies involved so that they're excited about it and then make it a game, like a friend of mine at church, she has a five-year-old and a four-year-old son. And they, they've gone through these materials and they think it's like the most fun game. Like sometimes when they're in the car, they want to play, I'm thinking of an animal. And other times they're like, let's play the truth and feelings game. (laughs) (laughs) And so it just is getting their bodies and their minds involved. But the great thing about it is, is because we're creating these categories in their minds, then 
when somebody later, you know, when they encounter either, whether it's somebody on the playground or a YouTube video or a TikTok video, and someone is making a claim that's based purely on emotion. And most people are drawn in thinking, oh, this has to be true. Look at how passionately this person is speaking. Clearly uh-huh. it's true. They're going to be able to say, oh, that belongs in the feelings box. So that's that person's personal no, preference, it's but it's not true. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's just an easy way with little guys, just get their bodies involved, attach something that's abstract to something that's physical and they can pick it up so quickly. <laughs> yeah. I, I love this. I'm so into this. I think that this is the coolest thing. And I, it, I don't know, you and I probably have that mutual love for, for children. Cause my background's in early childhood education too. And yes. I was like, uh, yeah, I, I loved working with kids. They're just so silly and goofy like me. <laughs> and I can just, you know, have a lot of fun with them. And I, I think that parents have a really hard time whenever they're so little thinking, well, what can I do to get them involved? And that made so much sense. And that was very helpful. Now, uh, I don't think my viewers know this, but I'm actually homeschooling my kids as a, this is their last uh, year in, in public school. And then we're planning on homeschooling from then on. And that's one reason why I'm really interested in this topic and this kind of material, because I think that there seems to be um, different ways that you can implement this from families to churches, to, to all kinds of different things. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, one thing that I'm, I am interested in this aspect, but thinking critically with Mm -hmm. our children. So here we are in this topic and we're talking about like logical fallacies and things like that. And I'm sure there's a lot of fun games that we can uh, play with our children to teach them this. And I've been eyeballing one part of, of the curriculum, which is the careful thinking. Now, I wanted to ask you specifically, why, why do you think there would be a need for this? If you can give us just three important reasons why we need to know how to think critically, our children to teach them how to think critically, as well as ourselves, what would that, what they, what would those be? If I stumble over my words, yeah, I love <laughs> I love that question because I think anytime we're doing something, if we don't know the why behind it, we're not going to stick with it Mm -hmm. (laughs) for very long. Like we're we're not going to. So the first reason is because God commands it. Like Mm. it's so clear in scripture that the the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And so that also involves the renewing of our mind, you know, which the apostle Paul talks about numerous times in scripture. And we're commanded not to be taken captive captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. And so in the world that we live, you know, scripture has always been true. It will always remain true. Jesus has always been in the business of saving people and he will continue to be in that business, you know, from now (laughs) through the day that he returns and what, so the truth of scripture never changes, but what does change is the culture in which we find ourselves. And so the culture in which we find ourselves right now, in order to obey that command, to love God with our minds and to not be taken captive by the hollow and deceptive philosophies around us, we have to recognize what skills we and our children need. Because when you think about the, uh, just the vast quantity of information that confronts our kids every day, I mean, even if we're careful Mm. about limiting their screen time, the amount of competing ideas and truth claims that they're confronted with in a year of their life is more than most people throughout human history have been confronted with throughout the entire span of their life. Mm -hmm. So the tools that we need to equip them with look different today than they did 40 years ago. 
you know, 40 years ago, if you were raised in a Christian home, you know, yeah, you might know a few people here and there who weren't Christians, <laughs> but, you know, by and large, most people in your world were adhering to the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. So in order to be faithful to this command, to love God with all our minds and to make sure that we're not taken captive by the hollow and deceptive philosophies around us. We need to equip ourselves and our children to think well. Mm-hmm. So that's the primary, that's the primary reason, you know, to be faith, to be faithful to God and to what he's commanded us in his word. And then if we want to raise children, like, you know, in, in one of John's epistles, I always forget if it's second or third John, I think I forget whatever second or third John, where he says, you know, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether we're Christian parents or grandparents or aunts, uncles, you know, children's ministry leaders, teachers, whoever we are, these children that God has placed in our care, you know, our primary desire for them should be to see them walking in the truth. So this, the second reason is really related to the first, but just out of this love for our children and our desire to see them walk in the truth. If we want them to walk in the truth, we have to equip them to recognize ideas that are true and ideas that are false because yes, we need to have them in God's word. Yes. We need to teach them to read scripture. Well, yes, we need to equip them to memorize it and we need to equip them to recognize false ideas, you know, because a lot of times there's very, very sweet sounding ideas that people may even back up with scripture. But when we actually carefully evaluate what they're saying, we see that what they're saying doesn't align with scripture at all. Like I was just watching um, one of Mike Winger's most recent teachings where he's starting to go through women in ministry. And as he was going through these different sources, I was like, oh my goodness, that's covered in like unit three, lesson two of my curriculum, you know, like basing an argument on an emotional story, you know, like without any evidence for support or, oh my goodness, that's like, that's a logical fallacy. That's, that's equating someone's identity mm-hmm. with their ability to think where the law of identity, you know, says like a is, is a, and like, I am not the sum of like my ability to think. Like, uh-huh. And so we just, if we want our children to walk the truth in this world, we need to equip them with the skills that they need, that they can transfer in any and every situation. Because a lot of times what we do is we just think, okay, if I, if I teach them these five truths, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to be set for life. We're think I like to use, I'm a teacher. So I like to use analogies <laughs> from teaching that because most of us have gone through school. So we can, can, we can relate to them. You mm-hmm. know, when we, when we were learning to read our teachers, or our parents, whoever was teaching us, they could have chosen to teach us words and just show us words and have us memorize those words. And we could have learned to read that way. But the real downside of that is we would have been dependent on them for the rest of our lives, because every time we encountered a new word, we would have needed them to tell us what that word was. And then we would have needed to memorize it. Mm-hmm. But what they did instead is they taught us 26 letters. They taught us to memorize the shape of those letters and the sounds associated with those letters. And once we knew those 26 letters, we could then push them together to make any word, you know, in the English language and to read any word that's out there. And so now I don't need my mom or my first grade teacher to help me when I encounter a new word, because Mm. I have transferable skills that I take with me in every book and every article that I read so that I can then decode that word. And that's the same thing we need to do with our children rather than saying, okay, this is true. Believe it. This is false. Don't believe it. This is Uh true. Believe it. This is false. Don't believe it. We need to equip them with these thinking skills. So no matter what comes down the pipeline, they can take the those skills and implement them and say, Oh, that's true because X, Y, and Z or, Oh, that's not true because of X, Y, or Z. So we want to equip them with these transferable skills. So again, just to recap, it's just, you know, like we want to 
obey the command to love God with our minds. We want our children to be walking in the truth. And then the third thing for actually being able to share the gospel with others, you know, Paul makes clear in second Corinthians five, that, that we're still on this earth because God has given us the privilege of entering into his mission of reconciling the world to himself. And what, you know, what could bring us more joy than our children walking into the truth and then joyfully entering into God's mission of reconciling the world to himself. And if we want to engage this culture and we want our children to engage this culture, they have to understand how to think well, because they can't engage with the ideas that have taken others captive if they don't know how to evaluate those ideas. And so it's just so critical for us as believers who are raising children in this time and this culture that we equip ourselves, think critically and learn how to evaluate the truthfulness of ideas. And then we equip our kids with those transferable skills to do the same thing. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love this. This is so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you explained that really well and how like it's a foundational thing and the transferable mm-hmm. skills. So good. That is so good. Um, and so I know that there's probably parents watching right now thinking this very thing that I'm about to ask, and I wanted to get your opinion on it is what do you do with the parent that is like, yeah, but I may not be very good at that, or I might mess this up, or how do I do that? Because I don't feel like I'm smart. Like, I don't feel like I can measure up to that. How am I going to teach my child that? You know what I mean? And I'm sure that I, I, I just know that there's a parent out there asking, wondering this. Um, what would you say to them? Yes. First of all, I would say you are not alone. You are definitely not alone in that fear that that's a natural fear for, for any of us working with Mm -hmm. children to have. But what I think we need is we really need to have a mind shift in that we need to stop thinking of ourselves as the experts who Mm -hmm. have every answer, but rather someone who's a few steps ahead on the journey that can help our children guide our children to where they can find the answer. It's okay for us to say, that's a great question. Do you know, I have never thought of that before, or I actually don't know what the answer to that is. And then say, what do you think if next weekend we, we set aside some time and we explore that answer together, because if we always have the answer and we're just the fount of wisdom, Mm. again, we're going to be creating dependence on ourselves where our goal, you know, like our long-term goal for our kids is independence. Like mm-hmm. we don't want to be cooking them breakfast when they're 30, <laughs> you know, we don't want to be making their bed when they're 25, you know, like the goal is independence. So when we're honest about stuff that we don't know, mm-hmm. we don't have to make it up because kids can sniff out a phony like 10 miles away. <laughs> so we just need to be honest about that. And then what we're setting up in their minds is we're setting up this paradigm of, Oh, being a faithful Christian doesn't mean we have all the answers, Mm -hmm. but it does mean that we know where to go to find the answer. That would be the first thing. We just need to have this mind shift of, we don't have to be the experts of everything, but what we can do is we can help develop in our children, these habits of the mind to know, where can I go when I don't know the answer to that? How do I be a good researcher? You know, how do I be inquisitive? How do I check out? How do I discern between a credible source and a not so credible yes. source. You know, how do I do these things? That's great. We can do an internet search and just go through and talk about, okay, this web address. Okay. This one right here, it ends in.com. We don't really know what this is. Like we can go online, we can go and we can check it out. Does it look like a reputable thing? Oh, this one right here says .edu. 
still might not be reputable, but it means it's had to go through a few more checks, you know, than just a dot-com website. So just yeah. giving our kids some of these skills, you know, to think through, like, I don't know the answer to this. How do I search? Because if we don't do that, they're going to do a Google search and whatever comes up in the top three, they're going to take as gospel truth. <laughs> so I think that mind shift is the first thing. And the second thing is don't try to reinvent the wheel. Mm. Now, I mean, that's part of why we do what we do at Foundation Worldview is we want to just provide people with just this digital box that they can take and say, okay, I don't know much about worldview. I don't know much about apologetics. I don't really know anything about critical thinking, but I do know how to press play and I can sit there with my kid and I can learn alongside them. So, you know, that's one resource, but there's other great resources out there as well. There's tons of great books that people can watch. You know, like I love the mama bear apologetics book. I love Natasha Crane's books. They just provide really great information for parents on practical conversations to have with kids. So don't try to reinvent the wheel, start doing some research and what, you know, what materials and resources are out there that you can use to begin equipping yourself alongside your children. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's really good. Yeah. I think, uh, there's a saying that says, uh, don't pave the road for your child, pave your child for the road, you know, and Mm -hmm. teaching them how to think, not what to think and all those, all those, you know, ideas that come along with that. And I think, uh, for, for a lot of parents, it's, it's an investment, you know, like it does take time. It does take this, yeah. And I, I'm having to deal with that. And you mentioned Natasha Crane. I've had to get some advice from her because she's homeschooling as well. And I'm like, how do you do this? And she's like, it's all right, Melissa, you'll be okay. And, but it's, it's something that I, I really want to do. And I know that that means other things have to take the back burner, but it's an investment in my children yes. because what I'm seeing, especially in the public schools. And I live in a very liberal state. I live in New Mexico and all the things that are coming into the schools is from CRT to, um, the gender fluidity ideology stuff, all this stuff eventually is going to hear, it's going to hit the ears of my children and I want them to be ready and prepared to, to know how to combat that. And a lot of, I'm not going to be there all the time. I can't hold their hand. So if I can teach them these skills of like thinking, Oh, something's off. Um, I, I don't know what that is, but I know something's off, but at least, you know, something's off, then that's good. And, um, I kind of wanted to get your advice on this as well, uh, with, with the public schools. Now you were a school teacher, you're no stranger to the school system. You've, you've been a, a school teacher for many years. And I, I'm wondering for those parents that maybe they can't homeschool. Maybe this is something that is just not an option for them. What would you say as far as, uh, advice for them, but also the services that maybe your curriculum could still help them with, what would you advise in that area? Yes. Um, so first thing is just intentionality. Um, when people hear me speak, they usually assume that I was homeschooled. And I'm like, no, I actually went to public school for 13 years. <laughs> My mom was so intentional with us in that, you know, we lived in a really like our house was fine, but we lived in a really rough area. And so like this, we did not go to a very good public school system. It was rough, but every morning, you know, my mom would read scripture with us and she would pray that we would go and that we would make a difference for Jesus in our classrooms. And so did we go and do that every day? Absolutely not. But, you know, like hearing that over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. I think it gave me and my brother and my sister, just this mindset of like, okay, we're here purposefully. And the purpose is not just to absorb, you know, everything that our teachers 
say. The, pur- the purpose is that most people here don't know Jesus and we do. And so I think, you know, like if public schooling is the option that you've chosen, or it's not really the option you've chosen, but it's the only option that there is, mm-hmm. um, just be very intentional. Don't, don't send your kids off to school, you know, and just haphazardly. And then the second part of that question that you asked, you know, about the foundation world materials, one of, you know, like one of our desires is really to be able to equip kids in any situation in which they are. So we've tried to make our, all of our curriculums manageable. They're all between 25 and 30 lessons Mm. that take an hour to get through. So that means if you set aside one hour a week during to go through these lessons, you'll be able to get through it in a school year because a typical school year is 40 weeks and we know things happen. So you don't have you know an hour every single week. So we've tried to make it, you know, if you set aside an hour one night a week or one weekday afternoon so that you can go through this and just really equip your kids to be critically thinking about everything that they're encountering in the classroom and in life in general. And we just, we've just heard so many neat stories from parents who do send their kids, you know, whether it's to a Christian school or to a public school about conversations, even that children have had with classmates and teachers based on things that they've learned and how to think carefully and critically, and then things they've encountered in the classroom and then conversations they've been able to have, where they've been able to share the truth in love with those in the classroom setting. And that's so exciting to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's really good too. There's um, something I do with my girls. We totally made this up on a whim. I've posted about it a few times, but we call it religion club. And it's usually on Sundays that we'll do this and what they'll do. I have a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old and I open-endedly just ask them, what, what is it that you're wondering about spiritually? Like what's something you really want to learn about? And one time uh, my then 10-year-old, she's wanting to learn about Buddhism, for example, my little one wanted to learn, okay, I don't understand quite this part of the gospel. Like, I don't understand this, whatever it is. Right. And we take a topic and we learn about it. And when I say it's mm-hmm. on a whim, I kind of mean that like I'm in my house coat, you know, I'm doing this and, um, <laughs> we have this open conversation and, you know, just to encourage parents out there, like there's not really like this perfect setting. And I can imagine taking something from this curriculum and, and implementing it within a religion club setting, not just with my girls mm-hmm. though, but with kids, right? Like with students in general and kind of just leading that, that sounds like a a lot of fun to me. And I, I think that there's like a, an element of inspiration with what you're doing. Like, I really think that this is such a good thing for kids because that's really where it starts. And Mm -hmm. whenever we do inoculate them uh, uh, with, with good thinking, uh, it does make a difference in the long run. And I have one more question for you. You mentioned before uh, hollow and deceptive philosophies. Uh, for a lot of people out there, they actually think that that means that we shouldn't do anything with philosophy in general. But ironically, a lot of the critical thinking <laughs> logic is good yeah. philosophy. I mm-hmm. was wondering, uh, just for fun, if you can kind of talk a little bit about what that what that is in that scripture and what that means, and then uh, kind of what it looks like to have a uh, uh, full and uh, undeceptive philosophy, like to, to tell us the difference between those two. Yes. Yeah. That's such an important question because I think it's something that people get really confused with very easily. Mm-hmm. And even when, you know, when I went to Biola and started getting a degree in apologetics, people would ask me like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, it's kind of like a combination degree of theology and philosophy. And so many people were like, Oh, philosophy. Like, I don't think that's a good idea for Christians to study. And so first of all, when we just look at the word, like philosophy, it means the love of wisdom. (laughs) And if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
And Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. Then who should love wisdom? Who should mm-hmm. study philosophy more than Christians? Yeah. Because it's it's loving God with our minds. And so when I first started speaking on this publicly, I actually dove into a bunch of commentaries on Colossians chapter two because I was like, I have to understand better, you know, what this what this verse means. And I can't. I think it was a Matthew Henry's commentary. I can't remember on Colossians two, but he he outlined it so well, talking about how you know when Paul's talking in that verse about philosophies, he's talking about, he says after that, you know, that are based on human traditions and the elemental spirits Mm. of this world. And so there's a philosophy that is completely dependent on man saying, you know, like man's mind, the rational mind is like the most reliable guide for truth. And therefore we're going to set everything else aside. And we're just, you know, strictly going to focus on, you know, the mind and rationalism. And anytime we take any part of creation and elevate it above the creator, you know, that's Mm -hmm. idolatry. So that type of philosophy, yes, that is not going to lead to anything godly, anything healthy, because we're elevating our minds to an extent that they shouldn't be where biblically, when we're talking about the love of wisdom, it's, it's part of pursuing God. And I think one thing that Christians get very confused with nowadays, because the interesting thing about just being alive on planet earth is, you know, like we were born into a time and culture that we had no control over and everything in this culture has is built off of the backs of things that have been happening for hundreds of years, you know, like, and we're just like, thrown here. And we're like, Oh, I guess this is how things are. Where when we look back throughout human history, so many of the things that we're having to teach ourselves and teach our children were ideas that were just assumed in the past. Like this idea that something can be true for you and not for me, like mm-hmm. no one, you know, no one before the 18th century like would have, would have thought that that was possible. You know, like everybody would have just known like, no reality, reality, for everybody. And if there's a conflict between our inner emotional world and the outer objective world, what has to change? The inner emotional world has to change to match the outer objective world. Well, now we live in this culture that says, okay, if there's a conflict between the inner and the outer, the outer needs to change to conform to the inner emotional feelings. And so this is something that we just have to to rid ourselves of all the time. So when we're talking about philosophy, a lot of the things that we need to teach ourselves are things that were just assumed in times past and things that were also classically taught within communities. So I think a lot of times philosophy, really scripture to stay away from it, where that's not at all. Scripture Mm -hmm. is commanding us to stay away from man-centric philosophy, where we elevate the human mind and reason above all else, where if we're using our minds to God's glory, and we are training ourselves in just the rational tools that God has equipped us with, we are doing, we're, we're seeking him in that. So I would say as Christians, we should be studying philosophy and learning to love wisdom more than anyone else on the planet. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, um, I go to Southern evangelical seminary and one of the best, yes. One of the best things I ever did was take a logic class, you know, Mm. and you you can be very logical and cerebral, right. But this class blew my mind. I took it with uh, Dr. Brian Huffling and there was an aspect where it's almost like math, right? Where logic is literally the, the yeah. way that they were setting up the logic. I'm like, man, this is so cool. The way, <laughs> you know, you have the uh, logical and, um, or what is it? Formal and informal fallacies. And the informal fallacies is what we deal with usually on a daily basis. And I made a satire about this, right. With like straw man arguments and red herrings and all the things that we deal with. And, um, I think it was, 
I, I, I'm not sure I'm probably misquoting where I got this from, but I'm pretty sure I heard it from one of my professors. It was, either it was Richard Howe or Thomas Howe. Uh, they're both philosophers, <laughs> but they said that you need, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's probably one of them and they were probably quoting someone else, but I can't remember. Uh, but they said that because there's bad philosophy, you need good philosophy. And because yes, there's that's bad, a C.S. Lewis oh, quote. Is it C.S. Lewis? Yes. Yes. Okay. He says that uh, good philosophy must exist if for no other reason than bad philosophy exists. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I don't think it was them, but they were probably, yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I figured you would know that. Um, but yeah, you're, it's exactly right because these bad, bad thinking is going to touch the ears of our children. What, and we have mm-hmm. to help them and give them those um, and not inoculate them, give them those tools to know how to fight bad thinking because you have good thinking. And that's, uh, that's why I think that what you're doing, I really appreciate it. I think it's amazing. I hope to, um, get, I hope this video gets to a lot of eyes and a lot of ears so people can take advantage of the information that you're giving here. Um, is there anything else that you want to add before we sign off? Well, just if anybody watching this is interested in equipping themselves with the materials that we have, and you've watched all this, thank you for watching all this. Yeah, and if you're hanging with us, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'd love to extend 15% off if you mm. use the coupon code Melissa. So okay, just with good. I'll your name, just all caps, Melissa will give 15% off any family license. <laughs> I'll leave that in the description as well for everybody to take advantage of if you wish. Everything that we talked about, I will also leave in the description, including a link to Foundation Worldview that you can look at and just kind of uh, see what's there. If you have any questions, Elizabeth, is there a way to get a hold of you if they have any questions? Yeah. So if you go on our website, we have a contact form. You can just submit the contact form and we would love to reach out. Great. Thank you, Elizabeth, so much for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me on today, Melissa. (laughs) 